Hello and welcome to the 156th episode of The Sausage Factory, which is brought to you by Spong.com and hosted by me, Chris O'Regan. In this show, we interview video game developers and ask them how they made the start making games, what the influences are and who inspires them. Split into two halves, the show initially focuses on the developer themselves, and in the second half we discuss the game they're here to promote, which in this case is Catacombs 1 Demon War by Simpro Studios. Derek, who are you and what do you do? Uh, my name is Derek D. Benedetto, very long name. Um, you can feel free to call me Derek, of course. Um, and I am a game developer by trade. So how did you make your start doing that very thing? How, how did you, you know, stumble into that realm of making flashy, lighty video games as opposed to the analog version, which has suddenly become massive as well, which is lovely, but yes. <laughs> I actually started when I was in my teens okay. um, with Commodore 64, that sort of thing. Oh, right. I mean, I do encounter uh, a lot of Americans, a lot of Americans talk about retro gaming, that sort of thing. It's typically the NES, but for us in Europe, you know that we did lots of 8-bit computers. We ignored the NES for a variety of reasons. Um, so here we are talking to a chap about you actually delved into C64. Awesome. <laughs> Oh yeah, I was I was huge into it back when I was a teenager. That was thirty years ago or so now. But. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. So, what did you do? What was your first sort of stumblings into the realms of? Of I mean, you you probably played a lot of Lamasoft games and stuff like that back in the day. Oh yeah, a ton of games. Um, you know, Mule and Wizardry and all that sort of oh, thing. Heavens, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, way back. Um, I actually started. Um, I produced my first game when I was fourteen years old. Um, I entered a gaming contest. There was an old magazine called Soft Disc. I don't know okay. if you're familiar with it. No, sadly, again, the, 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 the that Atlantic the Ocean, we, we had our own set of magazines that were a bit weird, like Zap 64 and that kind of stuff. But uh, I, I actually remember that too, but yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah, 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 Zap Sizzlers and stuff like that. And the, the fact that we had a magazine called Crash, like, what? Yeah, we're advertising the fact that things crash. Yay! <laughs> yeah, well, that is, uh, I don't know if that's a British thing, but... <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, well, it's for the spectrum, so what are you going to do? Um, so, you made your, so you, you creating games on, on a CC4, that was basically assembly, wasn't it? Um, actually, I used Commodore, the Commodore Basic built oh, in, right. you know, the okay. built in Basic, which okay. was, and I entered this contest and I actually won the contest, and that was my introduction. And I was, I was so excited. Of course, you know, it was, it was really fun to have people playing my games, my designs, and seeing them come to life. And I absolutely loved it from the very start. And that's sort of um, that whole creation process. That, that, that must have been quite a, quite quite a thing to to, to find yourself. I mean, was it the fact that you're creating something that would change something on a TV screen? Was that the thing that, that drove you on? Oh, yeah. When I was 14, of course, that was 85. I mean, mm. that was a big deal back then, you know. Yeah, because most of our media back then was passive, wasn't it? So the fact you could make your own was quite uh, in bold, you know, enabling, I suppose. Oh, definitely. Of course, there was a lot of, you know, the Atari consoles and all that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. So that was that was my first introduction to gaming, the, however primitive it might have been. So how did you progress from there then? Um, Give us a potty history of yourself. From there, I kind of 
kind of moved away from gaming a little bit just because, you know, I just, uh, I, you know, had my own personal issues and I had to get through school and I had to, you know, had to get a regular job for a few years and all that sort of thing. So, but I still, I still used to dabble in game design. Like I used to take, you know, classic board games and I'd throw my own twist into them. I used to do that all the time. Right, right. And my friends loved my custom brewed versions of the games, and they they're like, "Well, why isn't it like this? You know, it should be." Right. Yeah, let's make Monopoly fun, which is a, yeah, you know that's no mean. That was thing. one I did right, yeah. and that's what I, I added a separate card sub sub game to Monopoly, and my friends loved it. Great, and I mean, that's how I kind of honed my sense of what people like and what people didn't like, and all that sort of thing. So. Not realizing it, but you're actually delving into game design. Yeah, at the time it was just for fun, but that's how I kind of honed, you know, the game balance and things like that. Okay, so over the years, you you obviously were. Um, I mean, have you been working in video game industry, or is this something you've suddenly decided to to do? Is this your first title as in Pro Studios? Just give us some history. Oh no, I, I've been um, then at about two, uh, 1999. Okay, I started I started my own game design company, you know, indie game design studio called uh, Stormcloud Creations. This was a long time ago, obviously. Mm-hmm. And I, f- I founded that just on a lark because I was playing games thinking, you know, I could do better than this, you know. And so I started it up and I ended up publishing about nine, self-publishing nine games through there over the next eight years or so. Right. And they were on the PC, were they? They were on the PC, yes. And... Um, I, and uh, that was really an amazing time, obviously, because the industry was different even then than it is now. Oh, it's been changing. You know, it's, it's every five years, I think, you have these big upheavals. But I think the biggest milestone, biggest upheaval was 2007, when the Xbox 360 and the iPhone arrived and went, look, do this now. You can play indie games on your console. This is heresy. No, it's not. Come on, play this weird indie game on Xbox 360, and it's on a sudden, boom. I mean, I know, I know neither of those platforms are PC, but you can't deny that they influenced everything. At least that's my opinion. What do you think? Oh, absolutely. I mean, the, the mobile game market, too, has influenced a lot of PC game design, in my opinion. Yes, I think the tablets have done a great deal of good and ill. depends on your point of view. Um, I love playing. I love playing a digital version of board games on my tablet because it just makes me better at the actual board game. But uh, yeah, okay. Oh, oh, I loved Gremlins on. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen that on uh, Gremlins Inc. on Steam. Okay, just oh. a great classic board game type thing. All right, I'll have to check that out. And um, what kind of games were these that you were making in the uh, early two thousands? Uh, mostly uh, text based strategy kind of things, if you want to call it that. You know, they were. Um, very low tech, just because I didn't have a big budget, obviously. Right. But they were focused on strategy and decision making and things like that. And I, I, I love games like that anyway. Civilization, and of course, and yes. I, grew, yeah. I grew up playing those kind of games. So, oh, okay, right, yeah. Civ was uh, an amazing feat. I remember playing it on my Amiga and just losing my mind at how astonishingly <laughs> brilliant it was. Um, 
I mean, I know, of course, the, the, the Pond generally played those games on PC, but for me, the early 90s was me playing on the Tori ST and the Amiga games, which were actually better looking and sounded better than the PC versions, which I found amusing. Oh, um, no doubt about it. I, I loved my Atari ST. I, I, I remember getting one of those and just loving the way it looked and the sounds were always better. And, and you had one disc. I mean, your PC had a stack of discs. You just had one. And you slammed it in, turned it on, off it went. It was glorious. Oh, I loved it. That, I, Atari ST was a very underrated gaming machine, really. Agreed, agreed. Uh, I actually streamed, because uh, uh, I do stream from old hardware, and I streamed from it recently. Uh, I was playing a game called Runorama, which is a very strange sort of dungeon-crawly roguelike game. Um, but it, the reason I did it because I thought I was playing lots of roguelikes. And, hmm, you can, you can, this game is very much embryonic of that, of that genre. So, what happened in the in the mid two thousands? Then, what did you you said you spent a period doing that? Then, then what did you move on to? Um, in about two thousand eight, I sold the company just because I had you know I've you know I got into a relationship and I was just like I kind of wanted to kind of get out of the rat race a little bit because okay. I'd been you know programming and designing for so long you know putting out so many games and. I decided to kind of uh, take a break, and so I sold the company, and I just kind of went back into the workforce for a few years. Oh, right. So you just went back into, as a developer or programmer, making tools and that kind of thing, yes? Yeah, basically. Yeah, I did, and, I, and then I, um, I worked with EAA on a Sims project for a little bit. Okay. And I just kind of, you know, just kind of took a break from making my own stuff, you know. Right. So and then, then in oh go ahead I'm sorry no so I'm just uh, it's uh, I, I think it's, the, uh, it's interesting how when needs must you find yourself going well let's just go back into the industry for a bit not looking after myself but looking after working for others to see you know if I'm missing something maybe or and also for for necessary you know in order to put to keep a roof over one's head um, exactly exactly <laughs> so you were saying carry on. Um, and then about 2014, I, I founded Simpro Studios, and I created my first game and put it on Steam, and um, and it, the the bug bit me again. I really wanted to get back into it. Mm. So how do you feel the industry is now compared to what it was, I don't know, five, six years ago? And that's a valid question. Well, how do you, th- oh, you feel about it? Uh, you know, I'm kind of mixed about it. I mean, mm. I think... The newer tools like Unity and uh, their accessibility have been a mixed blessing. You know what I mean? Yes, I know exactly what you mean. It's basically um, it's it's the barrier of entry is lowered quite significantly. <laughs> exactly. I mean, to the point where um, it's like people don't need to know assembly anymore, uh, and you know, uh, t- which may you find is sort of galling to think that they're not really doing that anymore, but. You know, they know C++ or they need C Sharp and Unity and that kind of stuff. But that's as deep as it goes. But uh, a lot of people don't even know that and try to use Unity to make a game, if you know what I mean. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, they dive into Game Maker and stuff like that. Um, but, but, you know, like Unity, I mean, all the all the, the, the shovelware that's coming out for Unity now. and it, it, I mean, I guess one of the advantages is anybody can make a game. Yes, but then the downside is anybody, anybody can, make can make a game. a game, anybody, even if you don't have any semblance of game design or construction or balance. or 
or even quality control if you've been on Steam lately, you know. <laughs> it's just I remember back in the day when Steam used to every week it would come up and like, oh look, there's a new game. Now it's every second. Oh look, there's another one. <laughs> literally, yeah. they they literally every someone I remember seeing a site last week that said every thirty six minutes there's a new game on Steam. I'm like, wow, that's just insane to me. Yeah, and that is why I have people like yourself on this show to just basically cast a beaming light and go, this look, look, look at that, look at this. No, no, no. Don't, don't look at the shiny thing. This shiny thing, and uh, <laughs> so it's it's just a way of actually sort of hoisting you above the uh, host of titles out there. Um, so I'm going to ask you this next question, and this next question is a somewhat nebulous one. So forgive me, I've never been able to frame it properly without sounding it a little bit, I don't know, pretentious. But I'm going to ask it anyway. What are your biggest influences as a creator? Um, early ones were, of course, uh, Sid Meier, obviously. Uh, I mean, that's that's just like Game Design 101, you know, the person you looked up to, you know. Um, you know, Chris Roberts made, did some amazing work in his early days, you know. Yeah, yeah, he did. He did. I think Wing Commander was uh, a, a, a massive, massive achievement. I'm still... Remember to this day when I saw that, I went, "Oh, that's the Amiga done." Then, even though it did come out on the Amiga, I was like, "Yeah, it's done." I think we're now onto the PC, whether we like it or not. Yeah. Now the recent Star Citizen thing, I, I don't know. You, I assume you've heard about all that. But... I have. I haven't put a penny towards it because I think it's. Uh, Me neither. Uh, I... Uh, I'd love to. I want to believe, but reality has or facts have a rather nasty habit of uh, undermining one's beliefs. <laughs> well, I mean, if they can't do it, I figure if they can't do it with $155 million, then they don't need my 30 bucks, you know? No, I'm, <laughs> I'm just going to wait. I mean, I feel like, you know, just waiting on the sidelines. Sometimes we've been pleasantly surprised. I always cite Team Fortress 2 as a game. I know, you know, there's a game that like everyone laughed at. Going, That's never come in. Oh, wait, there it is. And it was, and it is, remains one of the most favourite sort of games of its ilk. Um, so, yeah, we, it might be another Team Fortress 2, or it might be, you know, a Duke Nukem. Let's, 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 let's just wait. <laughs> well, that's another way gaming has changed, obviously, is the crowdfunding thing. Um, okay, yeah, that's true. Then, that's true. There never was crowdfunding, you know. 18 years ago, you know. No, no, it wasn't. Uh, I still, yeah, I still remember looking at this and seeing how some some extraordinary successes have come out of Kickstarter and some not-so-great things have come out of Kickstarter. Um, but uh, So what else has influenced you over the years? Um, I, I, primarily, de- you know, developers like um, Danny Bunton, who made right. uh, Mule Mule, of course. Amazing. Okay. Just, just a natural feel for balance. And and just what works. So what is the, what is the other thing? What other nebulous thing you think you find yourself orbiting when you're when you're creating stuff? What is the thing you you latch onto, whether you like it or not? Latch onto. Mm. Um, you mean in terms of influences or in terms of? It's like I said. Yes, your biggest. That's what is your influences? What is your? It could be a piece of fiction, or or genre of fiction, or it could be. Um, a potted plant on your desk? I don't mind. It's just 
you know, is 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 there something that really gets you going? Like, see that that's that's why I do this. I remember the very first game I I fell in love with the original Diablo. Now I'm assuming you played that. I have indeed. I remember playing the demo. That's how. Yes, how. I still do play it now with my friend on PS4, but the PS3, but yeah. Well, the the first Diablo, I remember just falling in love with that game, playing it for oh, hundreds of hours. Mm-hmm. And that was a game that struck me and and as a game that I kind of, you know, maybe I can make a game kind of like that one day, you know. Right. And and that was a heavy influence with uh, Catacombs 1 was the original Diablo. Right. Um, just the, the, just the, the random items and the random, kind of the random construction of the levels and just the, the, the atmosphere. And that was just something that really grabbed me early on. It does show, uh, the humor's there as well, I think. Um, because that's the thing about Diablo, not only people talk about it, but there's some bits, although it's very dark, it was some humorous bits going on there as well. Uh, and I think you and I all both remember the butcher and facing that beast. Oh, yes, the butcher. <laughs> yeah. um, it doesn't. Uh, it hasn't aged well, by the way, everyone listening. Uh, by all means, you pick up a copy on PS1, uh, PlayStation 1, uh, and the original, which you can play on the PS3, by the way. Uh, no, one, no one knows that, but also on PC as well. But it hasn't, yeah. I mean, it's a great game, fantastic game, but uh, best off with the latest dungeon crawlers rather than going back then because it's... it's- yeah. It was kind of clunky and just all the walking around you had to do. And yeah. it's just uh, nowadays, yeah, I mean, next to Diablo 3, obviously, it just, it's not quite the same. But, no. I mean, which, I, which I enjoy th- as well. I really, I love Diablo 3. I think they've, they've turned it early on. It didn't, it had the makings of maybe being a disaster, but they, they did turn it around. And it's, it's a really good game. It is. And I think, uh, I've, I've actually, you know, Blizzard had turned uh, defeat into victory there uh, because um, the, you know, the initial launch of that game was a disaster. Uh, Error 37, wasn't it? Something like that. Error 37, yes. Yeah. I remember getting that dozens of times and just being like, ah, oh, forget it. I'll just come back in a and month when they're actually done with the game. You yeah, know? When, they, when they fixed it. Um, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I do play with a friend and we sort of go dungeon crawling and I play this mage. And uh, every time we're playing at such high level, it's ridiculous. And uh, it's like, okay, Chris, just do your thing. And I just unleash hell. And my screen is just a kaleidoscope of spells. And I and, uh, can't see anything. Cannot see a thing. And, like, and after a while, it's like, and I said, do I stop firing? He goes, yeah, yeah. The, 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 oh, no, a few more, a few more are not quite dead because he's playing another character somewhere else on the screen. He's just watching and this all go off. He says, yeah, you can stop now. <laughs> <laughs> you know it's like okay okay yeah, a bit of a design problem there but it does give a lovely visual feedback to the to the player to say that oh yeah i'm, I'm good I'm, I'm destroying all of the things but that's a great you know it's it's definitely there's definitely i can see the influence there from blizzard being channeled into through many games including your your catacombs one so i think i've got the answer to this question already because you might have mentioned them but uh what developer do you most admire in, in the industry and why? Oh, yeah, you just, uh, you know, it's a funny question. I, I mean, you have to admire uh, Sid Meier's early work. Now, I'm not even sure he's involved in games nowadays, really, yeah. but I think um, <clears throat> you really have to admire, you know, all of the different play balance things that he invented. Mm-hmm. And then there's smaller game developers like the, 
the person behind Master of Magic. I assume you played that one as well. Oh, I don't know. Uh, Steve Barcia. I mean, he was he's a genius. The guy is a genius, you know. Okay. Right. I mean... That that was another mind. game I put I, way too many hours into. <laughs> are you talking about... I mean, oh, that, that came out at the same time as Master of Orion, didn't it? Or... Uh, Master of Orion is another brilliant game. Yeah, yeah, and that, yeah. I mean that's yes, I know Master. Yes, uh, no, no, no. Oh, it's that genre. Yeah, that period. Yes, Master yes, that... Magic was uh, a sim. Uh, we were talking about microprose. That's part of where I took my there name from. Go. Simprose. There you, you go. Know. My, my brain drifted off there because I'm old. Sorry, but yes, you're right. <laughs> think, oh no problem. I think I have the CD copy of it still. Um, because I have a, I have a, I have a period PC. I'm not sure if you're familiar with the term. It's a PC that's built from the spec from its period. So it's it's a it's a Windows 95 machine that, that runs DOS, um, and it runs games of that of that from that era. So it's not through a DOS box. It's actually a, a genuine PC that runs those games from that era. Um, so yeah, I have to get that out again now. Thanks for doing that. <laughs> it was great. I mean, that was a great classic, you know, a perfect blend of strategy and planning and tactics. And I mean, it just had everything. It did. Very, oh, the layers, the layers uh, of those games from that era. It just kept on peeling away. Like, oh, there's another dozen. Oh, great. You know, just when you think you've got it, it, it throws you another dozen layers at you. And that's, and, but I like layers, but with some with simplicity to it. You know what I mean? Right, right. I don't like layers just for the sake of layers. I mean, I want layers that are simple and easy to digest, easy to learn, but hard to master, kind of thing. You know? Well, that's the best games, isn't it? Um... Yeah, absolutely. I mean, some games are just complex for the sake of being complex. Right. And that, that that doesn't make them deep or even good games, really, in my opinion. No, that's true. Uh, I've encountered a few of those, and uh, they're they're the most upsetting to play because you think you spend so much time making this complex system that no one can fathom. You could spent, I mean, you know, I'd even say the newer version of Football Manager is like that. Like it's just there's just too much going on. I'm I, I mean, there's too much. Wait, is that you mean the soccer management sim? Yeah, correct. Well, I'm completely. That's from us. Wow, you play that. Oh, I play that. Oh, I love that game. I love sports sims too, like out of the park baseball, and okay. I play those too. Yeah, I mean, as, as a kid, I used to love playing Football Manager. In fact, for now, the only reason I don't play Football Manager or games of similar ilk for fear of just being sucked in. You know, uh, <laughs> it's like I've have you know, I don't want World of Warcraft again. I experienced that once before. Never again. Oh, yeah. Please, Derek, not again, not again. Please, not again. <laughs> Well, I mean, the newer version the newer version of Football Manager is just just so many layers that it's hard to actually keep track of the, the core, you know, what you're supposed to actually do. Yes, you're trying to get Crystal Palace as, you know, to win the Premier League. That's what you're trying to do. That's uh, exactly. And sorry, that's it, my uh, team, so... <laughs> <laughs> well, even though I'm not, I don't follow... Football or soccer, as they call right. it here. So I'm just um, yeah, yeah, good. Um, I don't really follow it, but I play that because I enjoy the, the strategic layers. That, well, I used back when it was called Championship Manager long yeah. ago. Yeah. Cool. And um, so that's yeah, that's that's fantastic answers though. Those heavy strategy games, but I mean, I would assume people from Blizzard as well, or Blizzard itself, as you you have you 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 doff your cap to. Oh, absolutely! Uh, Diablo two. I mm. assume you played that as well. That was absolutely. just absolutely. 
that sucked up way too many hours of my time on Battle.net and playing with other players. And I never finished it. There's a reason for this. Did you know this level in the jungle where these things start throwing fire at you? It just, I, it just got really vicious. Uh, um, I'm not sure what level it is, or what, but you just get to a point where they, just, you can't defend yourself against them, or you put an armor up, set up that just doesn't work against them. Uh, there's little pygmy creatures that throw fire at you, and you just die. It's, it's grim. But, oh, the jungle! I always hated yes. that level. Oh God! <laughs> yeah, I never got through it because it's like I can't. I can't. It's too hard. Like you step out through two or three steps, and all of a sudden you just get waylaid by little pygmies throwing fire bombs at you, and they're like. Well, this is not fun. So, yeah. It's, it, it can be a balanced thing. Like, they made the jungle, to me, was actually harder than the level after it, the desert thing. Yeah. Yeah, it was. And, yeah. and, and you know, it was because it didn't have any annoying enemies like that, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. They were just, as soon as I saw them, I went, oh. my heart just sank. Like, mostly when in, in, when Diablo 3, you see me, like, oh, something to destroy, and then explode, and then destroy again. But uh, in in that, and it's always does does amuse me that the you are this unstoppable thing, and the game actually recognises the fact that you're this unstoppable monster. I mean, you're more of a monster than the things you're destroying. You know, it's the, the racking of the kills you're racking up. You are a monster, uh, and uh, it is quite amusing how the game recognises that towards the end. Spoilers, everyone, but it does. <laughs> so, what are you playing right now? My last question, first off. What, what am I playing right now? Yeah. Um, I'm not playing a lot of games right now, just because I am. Um, I'm, I'm into. Uh, I actually do play card games too, like Magic: The Gathering, a little bit. Mm-hmm. And um, have you played I'm, Star Wars Destiny yet? No, I haven't. I play um, Elder Scrolls Legends. I'm sure you've heard of that one. Okay. Yeah. I absolutely love that game. I play it pretty often. I'm. I mean, I'm so busy developing these days. I don't always have time to play. I, I okay. wish I had more time to play. Yeah, I play Diablo three occasionally. Right. Um, I, I, it, sometimes I do get kind of like, God, I wish I could go back to being a gamer again. Sometimes, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because I don't always have the time to develop the way, you know, or to play the way I would like to. You know, I know, I know, but um, it's always important to make to to delve into someone else's work. Um. You know, I've said I play a lot of Dungeons and Dragons myself, so I always say the best DMs are ones who play because they can empathise with the the plight that you're pushing other players into. Oh no uh, doubt! I used to play D and D too when I was a teenager. I, I loved it. Yeah, I it's, still have some of my original books in here. <laughs> they're probably worth a fortune now. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean D and D is very much still alive, as you well know. I'm sure you appreciate that. It's uh, it's become it's a bit of a renaissance going on with it at the moment. Um, which is a wonderful thing, um, but uh, yeah, I just—it's—it's. That's why I ask this question every. I ask this question. In fact, these five questions I've asked you are the same questions I ask every guest on this show. And the reason the last one is this one is really get an understanding of what keeps you entertained, what keeps you distracted, uh, and uh, you know you play you play magic, and that's a ridiculously complicated game. Um, I'm, is this online or is it face to face or both? Um, online. There's not a lot of game shops around where I live. I live in kind of a little corner of Georgia here, and there's not a lot of game shops around here, so... Oh, okay, okay. 
and and, and um, so the, the Legends one, the Elder Scrolls. How do you find that? Because I, I, when I first saw that and played it, I was like, "Well, this isn't Hearthstone. I shouldn't have done that, but I did say that in my head." How does it compare, and what what draws you to it? Um, it, it has some different mechanics that that are you know they're familiar enough for people who play Hearthstone. But it has some different mechanics that I really, really like. The prophecy mechanic, for instance, I, I really, really enjoy that. Um, every five life you lose, you draw a card, basically. And if it's a prophecy card, you can play it right away. Right. And what's the major resource? Is it um, mana? What, how does Ma- it work? Uh, mana. You get one okay. mana every turn. I mean, the mechanics, like I said, are very are similar enough to Hearthstone, which is another game I played for a little while, but just... Mm. It's just it's too competitive and it's it's too kind of uh, too many dice rolls involved that kind of bothered me a little bit. Right, right, okay. Because when I think card games, when I said that about the Star Wars Destiny game, that's a, that's purely a card game. I don't think you can play it online yet, uh, but it's a card game with dice. So imagine yeah. that. Yeah, you put your I, card I, down and then you roll dice, and you may 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 or may not be good. So yeah, there's that. Uh, uh, did, so I should say digital CCGs, I yeah, suppose you yeah. could call them. That's fine, that's fine. And they are so beautiful. And they, I love it when the games, these games actually exploit the fact that they are digital. You know, they, they, they can do things that a card game can't normally do. They change the face of them or they make, do, make them do things that when you're in playing an, an analogue version of it, it couldn't possibly do. Oh, I love that too. That's that to me is what makes it better than. And I used to play it face to face as well, but mm. just, I think that's what makes the digital version more interesting. You yeah. you can add mechanics that wouldn't be possible in a in a paper card game. Yeah, I call it the pinball FX mode of play. Um, you know, I mean, I love my pinball, but when you play pinball FX, it's even more entertaining because it's got spaceships flying through the table. Uh, you know, which you couldn't possibly do in a real a real table. Although I do like real pinball tables too. You know what I mean? It's just like having that enhancement, exploiting the fact that your medium is different to the one you're representing. Oh, definitely. I, I used to play pinball too when I was a teenager. I used to really enjoy pinball. And my friends all thought I was crazy, but I enjoyed it. You know? <laughs> yeah, I, the, the uh, Pinball FX VR version on PS, PSVR is just a delight. It is an absolute delight to stand over a table you know you're not really standing over it and, but it looks feels like you are and it's just wonderful with these spaceships flying across you as you're as you're hitting the, the, the paddles it's lovely <laughs> so that's it for the first half of the show well done we made it now we're going to the next level next level of the dungeon if you will or the area where we delve deep the catacombs one demon war So the first question I have for you is um, is not really a question; it's a request. 
The request is, can you tell us what is Catacombs 1 Demon War? Um, it's an RPG adventure you know, style game. Um, it was actually created in RPG Maker MV, if you're familiar with that. No, I'm not. Um, no. It's, it's, oh, it's, it's a, a it's an engine, is it, or a platform? It's a it's an engine where you can uh, you can create uh, role playing games, and it it comes with tools that you can use to make it a little easier to make them, obviously. Okay. But you have to know some coding and some you know graphics design, obviously, to make them not look like stock things, you know. Yes, it it, it could be used as a proof of concept stuff as well. We could use it to to create like a framework and then build from that yes uh, oh definitely that that's the point of it it's kind of like a game maker or anything like that it's the same sort of thing they're both very powerful i mean game maker would say what you like about it it's if you use the code which some people apparently don't but if you actually use the code half of that segment it's very powerful you can do some amazing things with it Oh yeah, like my game can uh, uh, you know uses uh, it leverages javascript which you can you can do a lot of stuff with that yeah yeah Poor old Java. Anyway, um, <laughs> so anything more to say about it? I mean, you could tell us about it's. It's got two views, isn't it? I believe where you've got the overall map, the overall overworld, not overworld, but the overall map you're walking around in, and then when you engage with creatures, it suddenly goes into this first-person like wizardry view, as I call it. Oh yeah, and wizardry was also a huge influence in this game. As if you played it, you can tell that right away. Yeah, I love. I've got. I still got my wizardry collection, which I'm gonna. I'm planning on streaming, like just do wizardry four randomly and just to stream that and see how it works out. But yeah, that whole dungeon master. Do you remember the dun- dungeon master? Oh, de- definitely. Yes, yeah. my, on my Atari ST, I used to play it all the time. Yeah, that, that dragon was terrifying. But yes, I get that when I'm playing catacombs, I get that same feeling of dread, which we'll talk about later on in the show. Um, because that's what Dungeon Master was all about. It was like, you're going to die the next step. No, I'll be fine. No, seriously, you're going to die. And you do, uh, probably. <laughs> but um, that's, 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 why you play, that's why I play these games. Uh, that's why I like Dungeon Crawlers, because you've always got that sense of impending doom. So, um, Catacombs 1, Demon War, appears to be a very purist take on RPGs, in that character development is not prescribed, but guided by the player. Was this always the intention? Oh, absolutely. I mean, the, the, being able to distribute the stats to your character the way you want, the buying the spells that you want to use. I, I, I didn't want, like, skill trees or anything like that. I wanted the player to guide the development of the character. And why was that? I, I feel like things with skill trees just grow very predictable and stale after a while, which, to me, replayability was was a very important consideration in designing it. So you wanted someone to go, you know, let's just let's just hit everything, fine, they do hit, and then they go another part, they replay it and go, what happens if we become a spell slinger? Right, uh, if you increase spell power and buy a bunch of spells rather than having a big weapon, is my approach going to be different, you know? Hmm. And it's very sort of um, interesting that you're, you're, you're giving a lot of credit to the intelligence of the player, saying... I'm assuming you know how this goes. Do you oh, right. That? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I assume the average player of this game is going to be a fan of old school RPGs. Okay. And, and will know exactly, you know, what they're supposed to be doing and, and building a character, you know, the way they want and guiding his stats the way you want them to go. And that's, I assume that the player has enough intelligence to build the character they really want. Right. 
because I do talk about this on the show a lot about something called prior knowledge. Um, basically, you know that when someone sits down at the keyboard or they pick up the controller, that they know that the left thumbstick will get the character to move. Uh, I know it's not the case of your with, with categories, but bear with me. They did. You just assume that they know that they that what a mouse pointer is. How else would they start the game? You know? Well, right, exactly, exactly. And I, I do have pop-ups and help to you know when you first enter the game to tell you what to do. So I don't assume that you're just going to automatically know what to do as far as the interface goes. But no, it's only games like Dwarf Fortress do that to you because that's oh Dwarf Fortress. <laughs> I had to mention it, Derek. Oh, uh, you had to. Oh, had to. yeah, yeah. But, I, uh, I just wish that thing would be would get a few graphics. Even a few would be nice. You just know? a little bit. A little bit. It's just so I, I the ASCII thing. I just can't get into it. I it's don't know. Just, I know there's like things you can put on top of it to fix that, but I don't know. Anyway, I'm just saying it's a bit impenetrable, and uh, we don't. You know, we, there's 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 scales of of uh, assuming not much, and like I think I always put Dwarf Fortress on the extreme scale of well, I'm not going to tell you anything. And uh, you just have to figure out for yourself. Have fun. Yeah, with this. I didn't. Yeah, I didn't want to make, especially since Steam is a large market with people with different experience levels. I didn't yeah. want to just assume people would just sit down and automatically know what to do. You know. So I'm going to talk about combat now, which is not the cornerstone of RPGs, in my humble opinion. I think there's much more. I used to think that. I genuinely did, but in recent years, I found it's actually no. It's a role-playing game. So you're talking about the character and the world they're in and that sort of thing. It's much more broader than a mere combat system. Nonetheless, it is still important, so that's why I'm asking about it. Combat is heavily reliant, at least in catacombs, on item and, hun- hun- item and enhancement and buffs. How have you balanced this? Um, first of all, I have a durability system, so just because you find a nice sword, you're not going to have it forever. You know? Okay. So you have to keep a backup and then a backup to the backup to get through the game, basically. Yeah. Right, right. And um, and you have to balance out spells and items and attacks. If you just hit attack over and over again, you're not going to do very well. Okay. So Breath of the Wild, Zelda-like. Not yeah, quite as bad. It, Not quite as bad, but yeah. yeah. I didn't want something where there was a boss where you can only kill him with fire or something. I, I hate things like that. Right. Yeah, I mean, attacking them, but you should be able to. But if you've got there, in my view, if you're facing a boss, if you've got there, and with, you know, by fair, using the game system and fairly, then you should be able to kill it. Right, or, and that's, that's I really believe in that. No, nothing unfair or weird or, you know, that you have to, that, well, I can't kill it with anything but lightning or whatever, yeah. you know. Um, I know JRPGs don't do that a lot of times. They say, oh, here's the boss. Oh, it's just stomped on you. That's right. You've got to grind for another 30 hours before you come back to this. Oh, no grinding, too. Yeah, I've designed the game so you can progress through it without having to grind through 5,000 monsters to be able to kill it. I never never understood that. Sorry, Derek. I've just never... Oh, no, I I don't either. Don't get it. I know people like doing it. Like, why? It's a strange Pavlovian response. It's just so weird. But yeah, the old the old Bard's Tales were like that, and that's why I kind of I, I used to love the format of it, but the grinding just drove me nuts. You know? Yeah, it was peculiar. I didn't really get it because Dungeon Master didn't, right? Didn't do it. No, it, just, you, you know. you, it gave you monsters as you were able to kill them in the natural progression of the game. Yeah, you know? when when you found the, the the staircase, which is a wonderful thing, 
still remember it now when you see that staircase and similar to catacombs when you go to the next level it's just really like eye-opener going i succeeded in things i found the staircase um <laughs> and i deserve to go down that staircase because i just found it uh, although there is that one skeleton i need to kill but anyway <laughs> speaking of uh staircases going into the darkness catacombs one uh demon war has a continued sense of impending doom i believe you may disagree but i i feel it it's placed around sort of like the atmosphere of the game how do you believe this has influenced its development um i you know i i think a lot of people disagree about the random encounters in the game and i i think that contributes to that sense of oh any minute an enemy could jump me that i'll have trouble i might have mm-hmm. trouble defeating you know mm-hmm. And I think that really contributes to that rather than just fixed encounters. Oh, right. So you, because it's a little claustrophobic as well, isn't it? Yeah, like the dungeon area is, and this, even the swamp area is very claustrophobic and, you know, with a lot of fog and a lot of, you know, it's it's a very dark kind of grim game, but it has little bits of humor, like you said. But I, I, that was that was the whole tone of the game that I wanted to set from the very start. Okay. And do you think this this uh, impacting on the design of the game itself? Oh yeah, like you'll notice a lot of the a lot of the background paintings of the story interludes are very dark and you know kind of a dark painted kind of uh, feel to it, and that mm-hmm. that was very much you know the music selections and the voiceovers are kind of you know it, it, the whole thing had a, had a unified theme from the very start. Last question then. Party development is uh, uh, sort of quite slow, um, yeah, but uh, in Catacombs One, but uh, in, it does introduce the player to how the interface works pretty quickly. Then it accelerates. How did you set about designing this system? Um, with influences from you know Diablo, and for, with influences from uh, games like that, that kind of gave you some easy quests early on, so you could learn how the game function. Right. Then it kind of, it went ahead and put you into the mix with the butcher and all that sort of thing. Yes, to get nods to that. Yes, definitely. But, that was a major influence. You know, like you have to get the key to go down into the dungeon, and uh, like in Diablo, you have to go down into the dungeon. It was a, like a super major influence on how the game's balance progressed. Yes. And uh, there's also some odd things going on on the surface, like, oh, nice and friendly. Actually, no, I'm not. I'm a horrible human being. And uh, I'm an actual monster. I don't want to go into spoilers, but it's quite early in the game. It's like, there's things going on, isn't there? Oh, definitely. I, I wanted to introduce, like you said, some role-playing rather than just a bunch of fights, and then you kill the big demon and that's it. Yeah, I, I wanted to really kind of introduce a storyline with real people, with real guilt, real you know sins that they've committed and being you know and then being punished for said sins exactly later in the game that that the you know that they they just feel the weight of all that guilt and i wanted to kind of introduce a a true story rat line rather than just a bunch of fights strung together yeah i struggle with that with uh D sometimes like oh look here's the next encounter kill everything i mean it's Ooh. the it's just the the the, the murder hobo uh, concept of uh, <laughs> uh, as has now become very common. I've actually had players say, "What what's your party called? We're just called murder hobos." Okay, right, fine. That's what you're going to do. But you know, the, the trick is to, for people to be answerable to for their actions, 
and that's what makes a true role playing game is that you can do what he likes fine but just like in real life if you did that you have to be answerable for your actions absolutely and i mean for me a, a, a campaign a D campaign where it's just a bunch of fighting is just is boring I, I want something more to be going on in the background you know yeah something greater something you're doing something to, to make the world a better place exactly and but but even it isn't even all that clear like toward the end of the game you kind of see that there's more to the situation than you figured there might be yeah and that's really why i mean uh, i'm a big explorer you know i love exploring worlds that others have made which is what drew me to to catacombs um because i'll just watch i want to know what what you've conjured up in your head uh, and, uh, and experiencing it for myself, and it's really it does speak to me. It does you can see there's a lot of love here. You put a lot of effort into creating this extraordinary thing, and uh, I can only c- congratulate you for it. Um, and uh, it does feel like you, you you cared. Oh, definitely. I didn't just you know I I there's a lot of RPG Maker games on Steam that just kind of just use the use the default elements and just kind of shovel stuff out and i i wanted to stand out from the crowd in that way hmm. you've done that well that's it derek it's all over um <laughs> thank you very much for being a guest you've been wonderful thank um, you i appreciate i appreciate the interview very much i and you've been actually a lot of fun to talk to yeah we'll, we'll do keep in touch uh and uh we welcome back on to chat about catacombs too and see how you've evolved. Oh, definitely. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. So uh, it's out on Steam on PC. Windows PC? Is that right? Windows. Uh, I just released a Mac, native Mac version today. Yes. So I have a Mac laptop. I do a lot of traveling, you see. So I have a Mac laptop. So I do that because it can take a direct hit from a bullet and still work. So <laughs> that's not true, everyone. Um, but basically, it's very robust. Those machines. So... I do like to play games like this on long flights and things like that. So that's that's maybe even feel even better. So I'll have to download it now. Great. Um, but uh, yes, Derek, thank you very much. Um, and uh, yeah, thanks for being a guest. Thank you. You, uh, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. And so ends another episode of the Sausage Factory. Do leave us an iTunes review, and you can also don't forget listen to us on Stitcher.com. So just go to Stitcher.com, and you can stream the show from there. You just look up the Sausage Factory, and you can find us. That'd be great. You can follow me on Twitter at Chris O'Regan, no apostrophes. And uh, if you want to email me any feedback on the show or actually you're a developer you listen to this show and want your game featured on it please do email me at chris at spong.com also don't forget to check out the computer game show which is the stablemate podcast should we say of spong.com bye bye